We took it all. We brought them to our land. An endless night. Ember hot and icy cold. The rage of the earth. We made this curse. Carved it in the blood on our backs. We did not see. We could not, but she did. And in the end... What will I become? Senwa Saga. Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Welcome to the New Books Network. What gods do you pray to? I pray to the four winds. And you? To Fram? But I seldom pray to him. He doesn't listen. <laughs> what good is he then? Yes, just as I've always said. He's strong. If I die, I have to go before him. And he will ask me, what is the riddle of steel? If I don't know it, he will cast me out of Valhalla and laugh at me. That's Crumb. Strong on his mountain. Yeah, my God is greater. Crumb <laughs> laughs at your four winds. Laughs from his mountain. My God is stronger. He is the everlasting sky. Your God lives underneath him. Everybody, I'm Dan. And I'm Tim. So welcome to 15 Minute Film Fanatics, the podcast where two lifelong friends and film fanatics watch movies separately and talk about them on the show for the first time. We're thrilled to have Tim here again. In for Mike. Mike's Mike's with his beautiful new baby, and Tim has agreed to come in and do some uh, guest spots here. He's a big fan of the pod, and I've also known him forever, and we've also been talking about movies forever. So I'm really excited because this is the second in a two-part series of movies Tim has been trying to get me to watch for years, which also star Mako in a supporting role, right? And Tim, what movie are we doing today? Conan the Barbarian. Conan the Barbarian, 1982, with the screenplay by Oliver Stone originally, then rewritten by John Milius and directed by John Milius. And here we go. Dan, what did you think? Well, Tim has been trying to get me to see this for years, and I kept blowing it off, and I, I would put it on, and like, oh, this is like kind of turgid or something, I don't know. But when I asked him to come on the show, this was the offer. He, he said, listen, I'm coming on, but we're doing Conan the Barbarian. And I said, okay. And I watched it, and here's what I think. Um, it was totally enjoyable. I kept wondering what kind of like strange like thing I had, what what bug in my ear I had that I was like, ah, like, cause I, I got caught up in it. I really did. And what I loved about it was this. In our episode on Gladiator, we did, we called, we called Gladiator the best bad movie. <laughs> and that's not an insult. We just called it the best bad movie. And uh, you know what we called, you know, what we called the 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 worst good movie. Um man, that's a good one. I don't know. Blade Runner. We said Blade Runner is the worst. Best yeah, movie. yeah, yeah. Okay, that's that's interesting. Yeah. So I think that the way this movie was written and the charm of it, it's like John Milius just kept rolling twenty sided dice and then writing what happened next. Because this movie is exactly like playing Dungeons and Dragons. Like, did you play D and D in middle school? 
I uh, never. I was actually an Avalon Hill hexagon uh, World War Two uh, board game guy. <laughs> we used to have turf wars with those guys. Yeah. Oh, yeah. the Avalon Hill guy with the sharks and the jets. We could we could easily say this movie captures all the charm of the sword and sorcery world in literature and movies and songs, etc. And in middle school, that's a big part of it. Because if I had seen this in middle school when I should have, if I had a time machine, there's no doubt I would have just walked up and down the street like you did and saying, why isn't everyone in the world watching this movie? Like, that's the charm of it. It's like a time machine. So let me explain what I mean by that. I, I think that it's got a plot very similar to The Northman by Dave Eggers. I don't know if you saw that. That's another yeah. like kind of Viking. I, I, I thought, did see that. Yeah. I thought it was horrible. I, th I thought The Northman was terrible. Yeah, I, I I thought it had moments, but I don't. It had really, moments, but it's it's it, it, it dropped out of my mind so fast. I'm not going to defend it now. Yeah. But why is Conan better? And here's why I think Conan the Barbarian is better because I think that this movie is honest. It's an honest movie, and what I mean by that is not like truthful like in terms of its themes or like someone says an honest person but it's got like no pretensions it's like right from the beginning you see them forging the sword and what is the riddle of steel and and the voiceovers by the wizards and that's what playing dungeons and dragons is like when you're a kid it's honest like you're just there at a card table in someone's basement with a bunch of graph paper rolling dice right and you don't have any pretensions you're just trying to like have an adventure in your head and what this movie does is like it imagines the Dungeons and Dragons stuff for you. Like you can imagine this much stuff in your head when you're 14, but then John Miller says, okay, kid, here's what you're missing. Like, here's what it really looks like when a level 10 fighter has to fight yeah. a giant snake. And, and, <laughs> and, uh, and here's what it also tells you when you're 14, here's what sex is like. <laughs> you roll yeah, yeah, around yeah, on like yeah. bearskin rugs with a fire. Like, <laughs> it does all those things and it's not pretentious and it's got no deep social. It, it's just honest. No, and, yeah. and that's mean, what's charming about it. it. It's, it's, it's like, it's not pretentious in the way only, something can only be where people say thou hast passed through decades of cumber right it has <laughs> right. that level of unpretentiousness right totally yeah. so what is it that you love about conan the like why were you like dan if i'm coming on we're doing conan um you know i i too initially found it slow episodic and all that our mutual friend the late lamented josh ozerski it's been about 10 years now yeah. since he passed um people can look him up but uh he he got me into it. He was definitely kept on about Conan and made me understand the poetry of Katai and the philosophy of Sung. And, and I appreciate that because this movie has something on its mind. It's a work of pagan existentialism. And it, it expresses John Milius's view of the world. People can, you know, do more research on John Milius, but he has this kind of right. ethos where he he believes in it's like. He's the kind of guy who would draw a distinction between a soldier and a warrior. Like a soldier is a cog in the army's machine. A warrior is actually like a tribal existential man. He, he, you know, he, he lives because he is fighting. And, and that's also, we know John Milius also was responsible for apocalypse now and that's Willard versus Kurtz. I mean, that's exactly right. what the movie's about. Yes. Right, right, right. So, I mean, it is like, it is a movie with ideas and that's, what's interesting about it. And again, it gets the ideas in a way that only a movie can that's in that sort of ridiculous sphere of, you know, D and D sword and sorcery and, you know, there was a lot of fun made of Arnold, uh, but, you know, he was clearly the choice for this movie. 100%. I love Lou Ferrigno, but Arnold was clearly the guy who had to play this part. 
And, you know, we can I, maybe later we could get into some of Arnold's career and how it really this really shapes his career, both in reaction to it and following up on it. But, um, you know, there's there's so much. The reason all that stuff works, though, I think, is there's a lot of technical quality going on here. One is Basil Polidorus's score. I got a whole is... thing on that for part two. I got a whole. Oh, okay, thing all right, yeah, yeah. No, right. he. But th this movie is this. This is actually a soundtrack with a movie attached to it. Yeah, yeah, no. I, I mean, it's it's just it. It has this. It's like there's a lot of brass and percussion totally. and voices and a, a, a very big string section. So it has like it's it sounds like European more than Hollywood. Yeah. And, you know, there's just a lot of stuff like that. There's, you know, we've, you probably, I have this experience, probably a lot of people do, that you watch movies where, you know, like Summer Glau or Charlize Theron or these really small people are fighting big, gigantic guys and knocking them out and all that kind of thing. And, you know, your eye tells you like, and your experience of having been in real fights is like, no, it doesn't work that way. Gravity matters and weight matters and all that stuff. Uh, you got to give it up for Sandal Bergman. She makes these scenes look real. She is very good. Her appearance as a Valkyrie, even that, I I feel like, yeah, you know, it works. A hundred percent. I mean, we talk about two things I want to bring up that you just said. First is Arnold's career. I mean, he doesn't talk till the 24th minute because I looked at the timer when I was watching it, but he doesn't have to. So he fills up he fills up the screen. He he he's just enormous when you're watching him practice. So that's really great. John Milius did to Schwarzenegger what the Gladiator School does to Conan. It's exactly the same thing. Like we're going to make you into this thing. Yeah, and you're going to be the biggest badass ever. And and you, Conan slash Arnold, you're going to just go on forever. You're going to be the governor of California. Like you know, you're going to yeah, marry yeah. Kennedy. It's just you know, you 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 have no idea what's coming. Um, and you know it, what's great is all of this stuff, it, all of that early stuff of the making of Conan from the little boy into Conan is it done in almost like silent movie style like totally. there's 24 minutes he 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 walks the groove deeper and deeper into the ground the wheel of right? pain he's working yeah. on the walking the wheel of pain yeah. right and even when he gets sold like there isn't it, there's just like one guy rides up you don't know who he is he he gives money to the other guy they they like high five each other and that's the end of it the episodic quality that initially drives people out of this movie is actually what makes this movie awesome because that's D&D. &D. That's D&D. &D. Like, what right. are you doing on Saturday? Like, one Saturday with your four friends, you're not, you're, instead of talking to girls, you're going to be in the basement and you're going to roll dice. And like, <laughs> we got to do this. We got to do the gladiator fights today. Uh, maybe next weekend we can go to Bobby's house and we'll fight the snake. Like, that's exactly what it's like in yeah. a campaign of D&D. I want to ask you about something else you just said, though. It was about, you talked about John Milius and the difference between the soldier and a warrior. And this movie has ideas. The idea that we can talk about is, you know, Thulsa Doom as a villain, right? And why he's a snake and like, you know, his ability to memorize, to mesmerize other people. It's that, you know, he, he's the great God of nothing. That's like, that's why I think they don't have a big battle. He's the great God of nothing. And that's what I think is interesting that Conan wants life to mean something. Yes. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No. And I, I mean, and the, the movie, we'll get to that, but it, it, the, the movie does have a point of view about, you know, here's an interesting thing. I don't know, um, uh, uh, you know, Dino De Laurentiis was a uh, a great Italian producer, a guy, sometimes people make fun of him. He had very grandiose ambitions sometimes, but uh, he later produced, he produced this and then he later produced uh, David Lynch's Dune with his ambition 
being publicly stated is he wanted to make Star Wars for grownups. And, you know, I mean, I, there's pretty general consensus that David Lynch's Dune didn't work out. But this movie, I think, is that. It is a, a movie with, that that thinks deep. There's a lot of scenes in this movie just of Conan thinking. And maybe we'll get to that in part two. So welcome back. In part two, we'd like to talk about our favorite moments. So my uh, scene is, uh, it, it's, you know, Conan and Sobutai, is played by the great uh, surfing champion, Jerry Lopez, uh, are sitting by the fire eating some chicken or, well, you know, you, who knows what Conan's eating. And they're, uh, they're, Conan asks, what gods do you pray to? And uh, Jerry Lopez says that he's, he's got the god of the four winds. And Conan has a great speech about Krom, who is his god. And uh, we should specify, these are based on the Robert E. Howard novellas where Conan is a Sumerian. He is yeah. Conan the Sumerian. Here he's Conan the Barbarian. I'm not sure what Sumerian means in the Howard universe, but I think it means sort of the same thing. Have you ever read the, Have you ever read those stories? I have not, I'm afraid, yeah. Neither have I, neither have I. I'm yeah, afraid to. Yeah, no, I, I feel like, I'll bet you there are a lot of Howard buffs out right, right now scoffing at us because we don't know anything about them, right, yeah. But um, so the scene is the two of them are saying, what gods do you pray to? And, he, and Conan says, you know, Krom is uh, when I when I die. He said, like I said, he's an existential God. He is when he dies, Krom will, if you can't answer the question, Krom will laugh at him and throw him out of heaven. And uh, Jerry Lopez says, my God's the four winds. And Conan's like, yeah, Krom laughs at your four winds. And then Jerry Lopez says, but my God is the everlasting sky. Your God on his mountain is under my God. And Conan just looks up at the sky and he takes another bite and thinks about it. And that's the end of the scene. They don't follow it up. He doesn't have a response or anything. You know, there's a lot of good stuff like that in this movie where they don't put a Hollywood button on the scene or a thing like that. And, uh, you know, again, this is why Conan's interesting because he is a barbarian, but he's an open-minded guy and he's learning about the world. We're learning about the world with him as he goes along. And one of them is you don't always have the right answer on theology. Well, let's talk about another moment in, in Conan's life. As you remember, at one part where he's strolling through the, the wastelands, um, he comes across the, uh, the the hut of the witch, who, of course, leans in the doorway like like all like young men think that their life is going to be like. It's a day in the life of Conan. Yeah, it's like, would you like to warm yourself by my fire? And like, he kind of, I almost love how he kind of like looks over his shoulder, like, is this is this like... Is this some um, impractical jokers? Like, is somebody is somebody out there waiting to film this and put me on YouTube or something? And she so she kind of comes in there, and they have this scene where she kind of like starts to bewitch him and starts screaming, "You have to go to Zamora!" Yeah, yeah. Um, and her fangs grow. And I I want to talk about that scene not because of what happens in the scene, but it has to do with what you said in part one. I want to talk about Basil Polidorus and the soundtrack to this movie and how great it is. Paul Thomas Anderson, who, whose movies you know we, we love on the show, and Christopher Nolan, we've done a bunch of his too. They've both become kind of like famous among film folks for this kind of like musical trademark they do, where they'll have like they'll have like a piece of music start very very softly in the background, and it'll go on for a long time, like through different scenes until it builds, and almost until you notice it. It happens all throughout the Dark Knight movies. It happens you know in a Boogie Nights a lot, and the montages build. And that happens in Conan all the time, and it really works. Like it works with the witch scene. It works with the um when they're getting the first sacrificial yeah. virgin, I assume, for the snake pit. And what's great about that is that it 
calls attention to itself here, but it doesn't make you, um, it doesn't take you out of the movie. If right. anything, like it pulls you in. And when we did Tucker, we talked about his enthusiasm and that's totally John Milius saying like, listen, I'm all for this story. And uh, you're not going to tell the story of Conan with like, a middle-aged guy who has to do sit-ups to get in shape. Like you put Arnold Schwarzenegger as Conan and here's what he's going to wear. And here's how the music's going to go. And it's not going to be ironic. There's, there's like no irony in his enthusiasm for Conan. And I think the music kind of reinforces that. It's also, this might be what I, what I was thinking about the, the Euro sound of the, of the music that um, it doesn't right underscore the action of the scene. It sort of exists independently. Yeah, it's right. Not yeah, yeah. Suspenseful music. music, right? And uh, uh, yeah. so, so you do get that feeling, like there's, like you know, everything about this movie is sort of broad and open, and like it feels like it has a lot of scope and air. You know what I mean? Yeah, we're gonna cru we're gonna crucify you on the tree of woe, which is like the one, the one twisted twisted tree in the middle it's of nowhere. Like, it's one, you know, Joshua tree or something like that that's standing out in the middle of yeah. nowhere, and yet somehow even vultures know they still know to get to that one tree. It it ha it has this kind of feeling like that um, Conan is sort of making his way in the world. He's impressing himself on like here's the world where everything could be completely barren. He has no, he has no illusions about the way the world works. When he first meets Sobotai, Sobotai says, "I haven't eaten in days." All Conan does is lean over and says, "And who says you will?" So ultimately, you know, you were talking about uh, Thulsa Doom and what he is the god of nothing. There is like this movie engages the counterculture in some way when Thulsa Doom is denouncing when he's speaking to his acolytes and he seems to be at the building up to like a Jim Jones Kool-Aid moment. And uh, he says, like, all you know, all the enemies, all the evil, your parents, your leaders, the ones who call you judges. And the movie is actually like real patriarchal in a way. What is the uh, the the wonderful Valerie Kessonen who uh uh, plays the Max von Sydow's daughter who's kidnapped. When Thulsa Doom's yeah, about yeah. to shoot her, she shouts out, father. And uh, so the movie has, like, it does come down. And, you, you know, if you've seen Big Wednesday, you know, Milius is kind of a countercultural guy. He likes that aspect of America, the outlaw aspect of America. But in some way, this movie is coming to another really like, strict conservative lines about, like, you daughters get returned to their fathers they don't run off with snake gods we took it all we brought them to our land an endless night ember hot and icy cold the rage of the earth we made this curse carved it in the blood on our backs we did not see we could not but she did and in the end what will I become Senwa Saga, Hellblade 2. Play it now with Game Pass. Well, of course, and of course, the fact that he is a giant snake god and becomes a snake and can shoot snakes like arrows, you know, that you cannot watch this and not think, well, Conan's walking around a ruined Eden. Like, he, this is yeah, Paradise yeah, yeah. Lost. Yeah. And, and, you know, as a barbarian, he, he distrusts all magic, right? So, uh, and, you know, <laughs> right, another right. thing we got to say for this movie is it is true old school filmmaking where if you, like, manage to get footage of the horse galloping, it was a miracle. And... You know, I think a thing that's going to make make this movie a hard sell for uh, future generations is like the 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 practical thing where it's false of doom. They just 
just through old fashioned cutting, like it's the Wolfman or something like that, when Thulsa Doom's face starts changing or when he picks up the uh, snake and stretches it out so it turns into an arrow. Like that's a great yeah. effect. That would be, if you had seen that at before you ever saw any other movie, that would be imprinted like the monkeys with wings in the Wizard of Oz, right? Well, what's great is that that's what I meant before in part one about honest, right? It's an honest movie. So that like when he fights, like if you film this today, and of course I didn't even realize this until someone told me this. And I thought I, I am on the, I got my finger on the pulse of movies. And I didn't even realize that there was a reboot of this made maybe in like 2011, I think, with um the guy that plays Aquaman. So I thought to myself, right? Like, okay, so when this gets redone, yeah, you'll the snake will be all CGI right. and I guess it'll look better. Like, I guess it'll look like a giant snake and like Thulsa Doom's arrows will be cool. But it wouldn't be, like, there's something very honest about when you don't see James Earl Jones do the full American Werewolf in London thing because, you know, John Millies, they could have done it, but he's like, you just got to see, because I'm watching, you're like, wait a minute, what is his face? Why, what's going on with his face? And then, and then you see the snake and you're like, oh yeah, that's it. That's, of course he can do it. He slithers away. He's the snake god but of course um that's what i mean by the film is honest it's like it's very sincere on the way it presents these people and i just have to say because i don't know where this is going to fit in but at some point i have to say how much i like the fact that rexor and the other guy like dooms two uh dooms two helpers and stuff they look like they belong in the marshall tucker band and we're in part three where we talk about the ending or the title or uh the overall wrap up of the film dan what did you think so I want to talk about the very ending and how much, you know, you don't get today, you would get the big 10 minute fight scene between Doom and Conan and like Doom would throw firebolts of snakes at him and Conan would deflect them with his, his sword, but you don't get that, which is, which I think is a great move, right? That's, that's a great move for, for reasons maybe we'll talk about, but I, what I want to talk about at the end is that title card of Arnold in the throne with his beard. And it says he became a King by his own hand. And it's kind of like, just, you know, it tells you like, here's where the story, here's where this story ends, but there's a whole bunch of stories that go on after it. And that reminds me of what Valeria says every time she does something dangerous. I think she says this two or three times in the movie. Do you remember what she says? Do you want to live forever? Yeah, what do you want to live forever? And that's her big, you know, daring do kind of, you know, Errol Flynn line. But I think that the movie, you know, not to push this too hard, or maybe I will, is that, you know, the movie is about who lives forever because, you know, heroes live forever and myths live forever. And that's what's really cool about it is like, yeah, you physically don't live forever, duh. But of course, like, we're still talking about you all this time. And, you know, that those certain things do live forever. And so she means it as a physical thing, but the movie says, no, you know what? Some ideas and some kind of people do live forever. Yeah. As Conan says, no one, not even when he's praying, Krom, I never prayed to you before. I haven't the tongue for it. No one, not even you will remember whether we were good men or bad or how we died. All that matters is the two stood against many. And that's, that's the essence of the movie itself, right? That they, 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 what you do, it is like he became a king by his own hand, just like Napoleon. This is an existential thing. You you impress yourself upon the universe in the right. world of Conan. It's not primogeniture. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. You have to make meaning in the world because the world is full of false doom and you have to kind of like stake your claim in the world somewhere. Right. So what do you make of the ending or the title? Um, well, I want to focus on the barbarian. Now, I don't know what, you know, again, we need to, we need some Howard experts on the podcast to, uh, ex to get it clear, but, um, he's a barbarian and that's the way he goes through life. And that's what's, there is this wonderful 
just sense of Conan's character of how his how his day worked. You know that he's intelligent. You know that he has the poetry of Katai and the philosophy of Sung. He is educated, and yet he's a barbarian, and that 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 it that's in the essence of who he is. The end of this movie has is you know once again sterling proof of the maxim that the villain always gets the best speech. Thulsa Doom gives his rallying speech and then he he hypnotizes Conan for a second. Like, am I not really your father when I am- Just for a second. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, when I'm gone, it will be right. as if you had never been. And, you know, James Earl Jones is at the top of his game. The two of them really liked each other. There's a very great anecdote in Total Recall where- Conan had to give a speech. It didn't end up in the movie where he's like, I, I have been through 40 years of Kumba. It's where he's sitting on that throne and giving a speech and he couldn't get it. He couldn't get it to come out right. And James Earl Jones said, have your assistant printed out with the full sentence all the way across in different sizes of paper and memorize it a couple different ways. Cause right now you're trying to break the lines according to the way it's written in the script. Huh. So they were, you know, like they have a great chemistry, the two of them yeah. together and you do start to think, like, well, you know, Tulsa Doom's kind of right. He is kind of Conan's father figure. This is what it's all been about. And Conan even thinks about it. You can see he's starting to lose his mind. And then what does he do? Because he's a barbarian, he knows what to do, an act of violence. He just chops Tulsa Doom in the neck. It's terrific that his head doesn't come right off. There has to be a little bit of hacking of the head. Well, of course, it's great that, like, you know, of course, uh, yet again, James Earl Jones is telling a lead character, I am your father. Yeah, right. But <laughs> you can see there's a difference between Conan and Luke Skywalker. <laughs> Conan isn't phased oh, by any of that. No he, way. He thinks about it. It's not that he doesn't understand. He does think about it for a second. The last thing Conan's going to do is hold the pole in the Death Star and go, no! Yeah. <laughs> This is why, and in some ways, this is like Arnold complete, right? Because it's his first big movie. And, uh, you know, he he was like an extra in Robert Altman movies. It wasn't like yeah. he was a slouch to begin with. But In The Long Goodbye. He was an extra, yeah, yeah. He was an extra in The Long Goodbye. Yeah. And so, I mean, super, absolutely taking every possible risk of getting typecast for the rest of your life. And, you know, he's an interesting person who... He's in a lot of ways like the ultimate Californian. Every, today doesn't matter. It's always tomorrow that's going to be better. Nobody dies. We don't even talk about death, that sort of thing. It's why it's interesting now to see Arnold sort of dealing with an old man's body and all that sort of thing. Yeah. But, uh, you know, he clearly not only maneuvered his way from this and was glad to play this type of part when it was necessary, but, you know, he, he says... When he made twins, he'd he decide like everybody told him, no, you're not, nobody's gonna accept you in this role. And he said, I decided to invest in myself. And that's great. Like he proved that he could do comedy and he was done a bunch of great comedies, right? I mean, his career continued to grow and he continued to prove the critics wrong, but it, it all starts in this because this is such a great performance. Yes, I mean, it's <laughs> great to see him looking so fantastic. Well, of course, you may know the story that in Twins, him and Danny DeVito, they put up their own money and they they signed a contract that said if the movie stinks, we won't we won't take anything. Like it's like they were that they were that sure that it was going to be a hit. Yeah, yeah. And that's of course Conan making you know staking his claim in the wasteland. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, yeah. 
So thank you for listening, everybody. We hope you enjoyed our conversation about Conan the Barbarian. You could follow us on X at 15MIN Film. You could follow us on Letterboxd. Let us know what to watch next. We take requests. Thanks for listening, everybody. And thanks, Tim, for recommending Conan the Barbarian. Thank you, Dan. Thank you.